Good morning, Keith. Thank you for that exciting reminder of the, the blessing we have to celebrate Easter this morning. And as I, I've reflected on that, it is truly a privilege to come together as the body of believers and celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I thought about that, there's, there's not a lot we can really do to make this day any better. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, what can we bring to the table? I mean, if we have a party, is the day better? I mean, not really. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The thing that our salvation hangs on, we celebrate today. If we give our kids a basket with some candy in it, which fail as parents, we've not accomplished that, uh, then is the day better? No, there's nothing we could do to make this day better. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But does that mean we shouldn't remember? Remembering is important. Years ago, Abraham Lincoln came to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to dedicate a portion of the battlefield as a cemetery for those who had given their life in the battle on both sides. It was a day of great cost. And as Abraham Lincoln came to give his famous Gettysburg Address, he realized something. Nothing he did or said could bring any more value to that battlefield beyond what those soldiers had done. And so I want to read to you guys just a portion of what Abraham Lincoln said at Gettysburg when he was dedicating a portion of this battlefield. Lincoln says this. He says, It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honors, honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. And as I thought about Easter and what we do to remember, I couldn't help but think that some pastor at some point along the way throughout the history of the church has said something very similar to, to, the, to the people in his congregation. That what more could we do but be dedicated to the thing that Christ was dedicated to? Christ came and gave his last full measure of devotion. How could we add anything to that? All we can do is remember what he did and be devoted to the same work that Christ was devoted to in bringing in his kingdom. 
the Apostle John introduces his readers to the final teachings of Jesus in the upper room in a powerful way. And we just, uh, uh, John Edwards just read that for us. Uh, and it was, it was through that introduction here in, in John 13, 1, that my mind went to the Gettysburg Address. Now, listen to what it says again. It says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love the way that verse ends. He loved them to the end. I could just as easily see John writing that, having loved his own, he gave his last full measure of devotion. And as I thought and chewed on that, I couldn't help but think that there was nothing else we could do to make Easter any more special than to remember how he loved his own to the end. So what makes Easter such a special day? Easter marks a day of victory. It's a day where Jesus rose from the dead. It's a day where sin is defeated. It's a day when death itself is defeated. It's the culmination and fulfillment of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. So on Easter, we remember that Jesus died and rose for us. I love the way Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What's that passage tell us? Quite simply, he died for us. He gave his last full measure. What, what more could the father give than to give his son? And what more could the son give than to give his very own life. This passage clearly tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, we share in that death. He died the death that our sin deserves. And so in Christ, those who believe have died in Christ. Our punishment was on him. So it is as though we have died. But that's not where the passage ends. Romans 5.10 also says that we are saved by his life. Now, we don't 
merely share in the punishment of the sin, of our sin in his death. We also share in his life through resurrection. So in Christ we die, and in Christ we live. Amen? That is what we celebrate. That is salvation by faith. It is by his work that we are reconciled with God. So what can we do to add to that? Nothing. Nothing. But we can respond to it. And we can respond in praise. And we can give our devotion to him. Church, I know you know this, but I want to remind you anyway. We do not come together on Easter to do any more than remember the price that was paid for our salvation. Lincoln could not do anything more to dedicate the ground than the soldiers who had already died had done. But Lincoln reminds us that those who come after those soldiers can remember and live out the ideals that they gave their lives for. So today, I want you to remember what what Jesus taught his disciples the night that he was betrayed, the last night that he was with them. And as we talk about a little bit of what Jesus taught that night, and we're only going to skim the surface, I want you to see how Jesus loves Peter to the end even though Peter denies him three times. So we're going to be looking at what Jesus taught them and also the way Jesus loves Peter to the end. So after John tells us that Jesus loves them to the end, what's he do? The next passage is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He comes to them in total humility He gets down on his hands and knees and he does the job of a servant washing the feet of the disciples. Now, why is he doing this? He's doing this to show them the kind of service that he's going to display for them the next day. In just a few hours, this was going to begin. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 tells us just how much Humility Jesus was displaying, the level of service that he was displaying as he went to the cross. So after he washed his disciples' feet, he began to teach his disciples. And so just a few verses later, after the feet washing, we have these words in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, Just as I said to the Jews, now I say to you also, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What's he say? Love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what's the point here? What's his instruction? The disciples are to love one another. And how are they to do it? How? Listen, the, the way we answer this question, 
is fundamental to the Christian faith. This is really important. How are we to love? The answer is just as he has loved us. Now, as the story continues here, Peter jumps in and asks a question. Now, I don't want us to get too hung up on his question. I want you to see the exchange around the question because I think the exchange around this question helps us understand how the uh, Gospel of John tells the the story of the last hours of Jesus' life and even to his resurrection. Let's look at John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, the question Peter asks is, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter, in his cleverness and in his insight and in his foolhardiness, runs headlong into exactly what Jesus meant. Peter says, I'll go wherever you go. I will follow you even if it means that I die. Now, this is my opinion, all right? Scripture doesn't say this specifically, but but I get the sense that Peter knew that Jesus was going to be killed. I mean, Jesus had told them several times he was going to die. Right? And so I think that with an earnest heart, Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. Meaning that he was willing to follow Jesus to death. Or at least willing to put his life on the line as he defended Jesus. Now, last night, the, the, later that night, uh, when, when Jesus was arrested, John chapter 18, verse 10 says that, that Peter had a sword. And he drew that sword. And he actually struck One of the people down who came to arrest Jesus, he he struck him, whacked his ear off. I mean, like, was he he willing to fight for him? I mean, the answer is, in that moment, yes. I mean, it was almost like he said, see, Jesus, I won't deny you. Right? I mean, he drew blood for Jesus. And Jesus, in his wisdom, healed that guy and, and, and marched to town under arrest. Now, let's go back to the upper room. What did Jesus just teach his disciples in the upper room in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35? He just taught them to love each other. But not only that, okay, but to love each other the way that Jesus loved them. And when Peter drew his sword, it's my opinion that he was trying to love Jesus self-sacrificially just like his master. But before, before this arrest in the garden, Jesus' teaching continued. And we come to the same point of emphasis again in John chapter 15. In verses 12 through 14, it says this. So this is the second time it's said, okay? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay, so we see the same commandment again, but this time we see love qualified. 
How much are we to love? All right, we're to love by being willing to die. Now, in one sense, I think this is literal, okay? As followers of Christ, there is an obligation to take risks for the kingdom and for fellow believers, all right? But, but that's another sermon for another day that takes a lot of nuance, and we have to see it in its context, and we're just not going there today, okay? But at minimum, at minimum, this is meant in the sense that we are to be willing to lay down our desires and good, our own good, for the sake of those we love. And I think we'd all agree with that, right? Like, that's love. Self-sacrifice is at the core of what it is to love. And like we talked about a second ago, Peter was willing to fight for Jesus. But only for a little while. Because as the story continues in John, Peter does, in fact, deny Jesus three times. And so after the teaching ends, the disciples and Jesus go into the garden outside of town to pray. And while they are in the garden, Jesus is arrested. As Jesus is being marched back into town to be questioned, Peter and an unidentified disciple, who is almost certainly the Apostle John, follow to see what happens. So let's read into John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. John 18, 15 through 18. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You, are, you also are not one of this, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming. Now, next we get a few verses about what happens when Jesus was before the high priest, and then John continues back talking about Peter in uh, verses 25 through 27, which says this. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. And said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Like, I mean, come on now. Eyewitness, right? Like, no, dude, I saw you. I saw you. You were there. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Now, Peter's denial is mentioned in all four gospel accounts. Only John leaves out Peter's reaction. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention that Peter got out of there and broke down in tears. It, it hit him. It hit him hard. Jesus was going to die for him, but he was not ready to die for Jesus. Love as I have loved you, is what Jesus had said. Jesus said, greater love has no one than they lay down his life for his friends. And here's Peter. I mean, think about that. He failed to love Jesus the way that Jesus 
had loved him. By the end of chapter 19, Jesus had been beaten and crucified. We never see in Scripture Peter have a chance to connect again with Jesus before Jesus' death. Peter isn't even mentioned by name again until after Jesus' burial. John 19 tells us that at least four people were close to the cross at the end. The one that the disciple that Jesus loved, we believe, is the Apostle John. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and two other women. That's all that was there. If, if John could be there, couldn't Peter have been there? So where's Peter? We don't know. Luke makes a reference to a large group of followers at a distance in Luke chapter 23, verse 49. Could he have been in that group at a distance? Maybe. We don't know. No matter what, all four Gospels tell us that Peter's last contribution to the story of Jesus' death is Peter denying Jesus three times. Could you imagine being Peter? The, the way he had to have felt like a total failure? Peter's a nickname. His name is Simon. Peter means rock. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says this about his name Peter. This is Jesus. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Peter ran out of the court where, where Jesus was and wept. And as he was weeping, I could not help but wonder if these words from Matthew 16, 18 were ringing in his ears. As Jesus was on the cross, dying, was Peter wondering if hell had indeed prevailed? And when Jesus was dead in the tomb, was Peter filled with shame? Yesterday was Saturday, the day between his death on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday. Feels like a short thing to us. But if the one that you thought was the Messiah, who you'd left everything to follow, had been dead, that would have been a very long day. Now, let's read from John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And, stopped, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth 
which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up and in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For, as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must raise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So what did Peter do when he heard that the tomb was empty? It says that he ran to the tomb. He and John ran to the tomb. Now, according to the next passage, which we aren't going to read today, Mary assumes that Jesus had been taken or moved. All right. However, uh, according to verse 8, John seems to recognize that Jesus had been raised. Verse 8 says that John saw and believed. Yet the next verse, verse 9, seems to imply the opposite. Verse 9 seems to imply that Mary and Peter weren't quite there. They didn't understand that he had risen from the dead. But man, I, I can't help but see hope in Peter's eyes when he hears the tomb is empty and he and John like, run for it. Run for it. Luke chapter 24 verse 12 tells us that after Peter got to the tomb, he marveled at what had happened. Where could Jesus be? Who would have taken him? Surely the Romans and, and Jewish leaders would not have taken him. John seems to hint at Peter's hope at how he tells the story. When Peter and John look in the tomb, they see these grave clothes. The grave clothes were left behind. If it was grave robbers and they came to take the body, wouldn't they have taken him with the grave clothes on? I mean, wouldn't that have made sense? Leaving the grave clothes behind would have been evidence of a resurrection. If the Romans or the Jews had taken the body of Jesus, then they would have done it to disprove the resurrection, so they would have had no reason to take the grave clothes off. And we're told that there were guards there keeping watch over it uh, as well. So how could any of Jesus' followers have gotten there to take the body? So these who would have taken the body from the Romans or the Jews would have planned to reproduce the body in the future. So why not just keep the grave clothes on? Why fold the head cloth? If you're in a hurry, you just get out of there, right? Why fold the head cloth? And then we see here in verse 10 that the disciples went back to their homes. And as they went back, I just wonder what that conversation between John and Peter must have been like, where John believed. But we get the sense that Peter had hopeful doubt. These things aren't adding up. Did he really raise from the dead? It can't be. But did he? No, surely not. But did he? You know, you get this anticipation of what happened. Now, regardless if Peter had some hope, all right, verse 9 says he didn't seem to get it yet, but all that uncertainty would be gone by the end of the day. Look at what happens in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 21. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The resurrected Jesus came into their midst through a locked door and stood among his disciples. 
He showed them his hands and his side. Jesus was alive. He made it plain to them. He showed himself to them. He was alive. This really was him. The reality that, that Peter seemed to be hesitant, all right, maybe, maybe that's true, maybe, I don't know, but right, right now, it's right in front of him, Jesus in the flesh. He can believe. He can have confidence. He sees him. But where's Peter in the story? Peter's name isn't mentioned here. Why doesn't John tell us Peter's reaction? Why is that left out? Now, ultimately, we'll, we'll never know that answer specifically. But he's not mentioned again by name in the book of John until we get to chapter 21. He just appears to the disciples. And as happy as Peter was to have seen the resurrected Jesus, his last encounter with Jesus was denying him three times. The Gospel of Luke says that when the, the cock crowed, Jesus turned and looked at him. Which means Peter knew that Jesus knew that he had denied him. As happy and elated as he was that he rose from the dead, he had to still carry the weight of that shame of letting Jesus down. Then John chapter 1 changes the scene. And we see Peter become the focus of events again. The disciples had returned home from Jerusalem. They were back along the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And, and Peter, being a fisherman, decides it's time to go fishing. Now, in my mind, uh, this is just speculation, my opinion. Scripture doesn't say this. All right, I see, I see Peter as just being dejected. Spiritually and emotionally exhausted. Totally drained. He just spent the last couple of years with Jesus, walking uh, throughout the countryside, participating in the ministry of Jesus, and all that is over. John chapter 20, verse 21 says that Jesus was sending out the apostles to continue his work, but we seem to be in this little lull in the story. And if Peter is anything like most of us, then I have to assume that he was still in his head about denying Jesus. And so he does what a lot of men would do. He decides to be productive. And he goes fishing. John chapter 21 verse 2 tells us that there were at least seven of the 11 disciples there with him. So six others came with him to go fishing. And they fish all night. I mean, an insult to injury. They don't accomplish anything. They catch no fish. But then this guy yells at them from the beach. And this doofus says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, okay, whatever. And they throw it over the edge. And they begin to reel in the catch of fish. And immediately, John recognizes this is Jesus. They've seen this before, right? Now, John doesn't tell the story of the catch of fish at the beginning of the ministry, but the other Gospels do. This is how Peter came to, to faith in Jesus. This is, this is how Jesus called him to follow him, to be a fisher of men. They, they're reeling in those fish. John says, that's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He grabs his garment, throws it on, and jumps in the water. He runs to Jesus. 
just like he ran to the tomb, he's running to Jesus. And eventually the group catches up and comes to shore and has breakfast with Jesus. And after they have breakfast, Jesus and Peter have this conversation in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I don't know how many commentaries and sermons have been preached walking through the different types of love that are mentioned in this passage in the Greek, and that is a good and, uh, and profitable study, but that's not where we're going today, okay? Jesus comes to Peter with a question. Do you love me? And I just want to look at that third answer today. Peter says to Jesus in verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Church, Jesus knew that Peter loved him. So why make him go through this ordeal? Why ask him the third time? John tells us that Peter was grieved by this. The third question hurt Peter. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus push to the point of pain? That doesn't make any sense to us, right? Why would he want to hurt Peter? And I think we know the answer to that, don't we? Because this pain was the way to true healing. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. But Jesus wanted Peter to know that Peter loved Jesus. So he pushed him to brokenness. And in that brokenness, all he could say is, God, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I loved you. Jesus went to the cross being denied by Peter. I want you to think about that. Where did we begin today in Romans chapter 5? As we looked at Romans 5, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross being denied by Peter. And yet, he still died for Peter. 
And the resurrected Jesus came to Peter and said, I love you to the end. Even though you denied me, I love you. That's how much you matter to me. There's there's no possible way you could mess up any worse in Peter's mind. He literally just said to Jesus, I will die for you. He literally drew a sword out and chopped the dude's ear off saying, I will die for you. And then to a little servant girl, he denied that he knew Jesus. He denied him three times when Jesus needed support the most. He denied him. And Jesus died for him anyway. And then Jesus comes to Peter and he says, do you love me? And each time, each time he answers yes, do you know what Jesus does? He gives him a job. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Jesus gave his last full measure of devotion. Is there anything else that Peter could do to add to what Jesus accomplished? No. He couldn't make the resurrection any more special. But Jesus gave him a job. And I love what Lincoln says to those who were there at the Gettysburg Address. We can't add anything, but we can be devoted to the ideals that they gave their last full measure to. And what does Jesus call us to? He calls us to love as he is loved, laying down his life for his friends. He called Peter here to tend his sheep, to feed his sheep. That's our responsibility, too, as we go and carry the kingdom work on. Not that we do this in our own strength. We do it by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? This is not something we accomplish on our own. But what I want you to see is what is our response to the resurrection? Can we add anything to it, church? Not a thing. But has he called us to something? He has called us to love like he is loved. And he has called us to serve like he has served. This is how we show our love for him. So here's here's my, my closing for today, my challenge to you. Church, if you are here and this is your 35th Easter, your 75th Easter, your 6th Easter, and you believe in Jesus and he is your Lord and Savior, then what has he called you to in response? It is to love the way he is loved. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I following Christ in the way that he has loved me? If you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to see his love for you. The way, the way that he still died for Peter and extended him grace on the other side of that betrayal. That grace is available to you. There's no work you can do to earn it, but he invites you to believe in him, to trust in him as the one who pays your penalty and extends you new life through his resurrection. 
I would love to talk with you more about what it is to place your faith in Jesus Christ today, if that's something you're ready to do. As we sing these last two songs, the altar is open. This is a great time to respond. If you need to lay your burdens down before him, whether they have anything to do with what I preached or not, the altar is open. If there is something that you need to repent of and turn from, this is a great time to lay it down before him. But if you just want to sing praises to his name for what he has done, then this is a wonderful opportunity to do that as well. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for your great love. We thank you that you loved us first and that because of your great love, we have a chance to love you back. Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us and you showed us the way to repentance through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to walk in that love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us and let's worship our Lord.